This episode of the BS Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you, as always, by DAZN, where you can watch Change Up, their brand new live whip round show across the league, presented by the MOB and DAZN. Jumping in and out of the best plays as they happen. Get expert analysis from hosts who bring a fresh personality, new perspective to the game, available on nearly any device, smart TVs, tablet, mobile, gaming consoles. Getting started is easy. Download the DAZONE app in the Apple or Android app store or go to DAZN.com to sign up. That is D-A-Z-N. The Zone. We're also brought to you by SeatGeek, which as always, as always, I don't even really need to say it. The best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, use promo code BS, download the SeatGeek app, or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, the world's greatest website, as well as The Ringer Podcast Network, the world's greatest podcast network. Coming up, this is an all-celebrity edition. Yeah, for the first time, a little basketball break. We got Rosillo coming in a couple of days. We are going to hit every single NBA angle possible. But we have the one, the only, Bill Hader. Had to talk uh, season two Barry and a whole bunch of other stuff, a little basketball with him. And then I did an interview with Common, who somehow I'd never had on the podcast, but he finally came on and uh, and he was awesome. This is a really good podcast. I'm almost jealous for you. They haven't heard it yet. Anyway, here it is right now. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, Bill Hader is here. I feel like you were just here, but now I you're was here just now. here. I had we had to talk about a bunch of stuff. We'll do playoffs first, but I want to break down season two, Barry. Okay. (laughs) Including an iconic episode that I'm sure you've been asked about a lot. There's some good stories behind it. You've done some interviews though. I feel like I'm like getting sloppy fifths, but it's fine. No, it's all right. No, it's fine. You'll find find something that I haven't spoken about. Yeah. Yeah, you usually do. You've been very interview friendly this year. I Yeah, it's I get, you get a lot of... uh, I don't know. A lot of people have been asking me for interviews and, and, uh, yeah, I am. I, um, you know, it's like good. It's weird when it's your show, you know, like I'm it too is about to come out yeah. and, and I'm very excited about that, but there's eight of us. So it's a lot of like when the interviews come up, I'm like, Hey, can't like McAvoy do that. You right. know, <laughs> but when it's your thing, you're kind of like, Oh yeah, I'll go talk to them, you know? And I'll, yeah. Cause you get, I you know I just did Joe Dante's podcast. Um, Joe Dante's podcast. He has a podcast. What is yeah. that? It's great. Yeah, it's like uh, he did Trailers from Hell, and so it it it's like a podcast offshoot of that with this guy Josh Olson, and who's great. And yeah, that was interesting. Just talking about movies and and uh, sitting with the guy who made you know Gremlins and the Burbs and all yeah. these things. I was like, whoa. Um, I did Terry Gross this week, but yeah, I'm always doing. I don't know. People ask you that, and I get excited because you, you you know how it is. You always still think, even though people come up to you and go, "Oh, I like the show" or whatever. There's always more you can be doing when it's your your thing. What's Terry Gross's interview style like? What's it like to be? Well, a, I've never he's met one of the her. OGs. I've never met her. I have no idea what she looks like, and I've done her show twice. Yeah, you're, you're she's in Philadelphia, and I'm in LA, and and you're just kind of talking to. It's on an ISDN line, and it's almost like. You're being interviewed by a computer because her 
the equalizer, you know, it's like the radio waves, the sound waves go. So it is like talking to a robot where it's yeah. like, hey, Bill, how are you? <laughs> you know, how are you doing? You know, and so it is a bit strange, but she's great, you know, and she usually, she, yeah, she'll ask questions or um, are pretty uh, That's a more pointed. Of a yeah, it's like a hang, but then she'll say things like she asked me about my eyes. She's like, "Do you do you are you focused on when you are performing? You're very express, you know. You have a lot of expressions with your eyes. Is that like conscious or not conscious? Like no one's ever asked me that before." And I'm like, "Your oh. eyes? Yeah." She's like, "You you use your eyes a lot when you act." And I'm like, oh, "I do," oh. as opposed to the other actors. Yeah, I guess yeah, I, I guess, guess that no. does make sense though, because I yeah. remember when Pacino did Son of a Woman," they made the the critics for it that were writing positively about it were like Pacino took away his biggest asset yeah he his took eyes. away his eyes yeah I, was like, I don't even right. think most about it that much most but... people use their eyes yeah I guess I, I guess Barry especially season two like when Barry goes a little bit evil a couple times like yeah you make, you make some crazy choose... psycho faces yeah but I'm not It's I'm not even thinking about it but yeah I think because Barry's such a he's he's kind of a you know, internal introverted character, you have to kind of maybe do a lot without dialogue or whatever. You know, like when you read the scripts, a lot of times people will go, well, Barry's barely in this, you know, or like, what's he doing? Or how's he driving things? And sometimes they are, right? You know, like episode seven and season two, when Barry gets an audition, Alec and I, Alec Berg, who co-created the show with me, we came up with that at like the 11th hour. It was one of those things where everyone was going, all right, hey, we're going to, I remember Aida Rogers, our producer, was like, we're going into production. Yeah. Like, what's Barry's story? You guys don't have, you have everything else laid out. You have the whole Fuchs, Cousineau thing in the woods. You have all this stuff, but what is Barry doing in this episode? And it was finally we, on, uh, when we were uh, really prepping episode six, we would go and into his and office and just be seven. like, well, what are we going to do? What is he doing? And then so, well, what if he got an audition? And then we just started laughing because we were like, well, if he got an audition, that would make uh, Kusno and Sally lose their minds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're like, what if we, it could be funny. It's like Barry gets an audition. It's like the closest to a sitcom that we ever got. Yeah. Because we had this really dark ending with Fuchs. And uh, Kusno, we had this last frame of Fuchs putting a gun to Kusno's head after he shows him Janice's body and it's this whole thing. And, you know, well, what if we started it really funny and the silliest that we've ever gotten? That yeah. that could be interesting. And so then it was just, it, once we figured that out, it actually wrote itself pretty fast. When you're brainstorming that, what, like, what's the process? Are you just sitting in two chairs? Does Is there a whiteboard? Are yeah, you taking there's a whiteboard. Notes? You're just erasing stuff constantly? Yeah, there could be a whiteboard. Sometimes we just have a big monitor that has the script up on it, and we're writing scenes. Or I, Usually, when it's the whiteboard, I'm up at the whiteboard writing out ideas and erasing things and trying to structure a thing, and Alex sits in a chair kind of, you know, not saying much and then just judging thinking, you. just thinking. <laughs> uh, and then when we're typing, it's usually Alec typing and me pacing everywhere. And then um, I do have a funny. So he's the typer. He types, but that I'm the whiteboard the guy. Yeah, I'm the, white, white, I'm whiteboard, the white, guy I'm whiteboard guy. I'm whiteboard guy. I'm whiteboard guy. 
uh, and he's typer. And I, I'm pacing guy. I paced. We moved from Sony to Paramount while we were writing, and we got into a new big right. And it was a giant room, and I was pacing, and I was I, I got I t- got lost. I turned around and I wasn't in the room anymore. And I was like, "Hey guys, <laughs> where am I? Where am I?" Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know. Um, but no, the way it usually works is is you know I will will kind of talk it through and kind of talk about objectives you know um a really big picture big like- picture kind of um objectives and i mean a good example would be in episode 7 Sally has this great monologue that yeah. Sarah Goldberg delivered amazingly and uh and initially we wrote that as a scene it was like okay so it's good to check in with Sally here cuz we know in episode 8 they have to do this show and that she she has all this pressure on her and everything. So, and she's flipping out about Barry getting an audition. We know what the Kusno scene is, but we don't know what the what the Sally scene is. And so we wrote it as a, a dialogue of her saying, "Look, you know, this is bad or whatever," and him responding and things like that. Yeah. But as we mapped it out on the board, I went, yeah, okay, here's what's going on with her. And as I wrote it out, it became instead of one thing and it was two things and it became three things. And it was like nine things that she was going through. And we went, I don't know how to make nine turns in a conversation. And then I said, you know what? Knowing Sarah, if we wrote a two-page monologue addressing all this, she can make it three pages. Yeah. (laughs) And she'll just, um, uh, she's amazing at just rattling off what you saw. You know, she's she can do that incredibly easily, and it's impressive to watch. She's a theater, theatrically trained actress, so she just nailed it. And I'm like, I bet if we do that, and we never cut away from her, and then it's now it's this impressive scene where you you get to see well, you get to see it, it work for us in a lot of levels where you go, oh, this is great because you get to understand where Sally's at and actually see that there's some self-awareness there. Then you also get to see what an amazing actress Sarah Goldberg is. And then we also get a massive joke, which is when you cut back to Barry and he has that look on his face, yeah. you know? And um, so that, do you know what I mean? It's like, we'll kind of map that out and then we'll write it, you know? And then at some point you stumble into the best version of it. If yeah, not, and then and then we give it to Sarah, and then Sarah worked on it, and then she would email us saying, "Hey guys, I was thinking I could add this, that," and we're like, Dude, "Whatever is easy for you to, so you could rattle it off." So she actually it was two pages, and she turned it into like two and a half pages. She added stuff to it. So she, it's funny because I've done a lot of podcasts, obviously with actors and directors and stuff, and they'll call somebody like, and they were amazing. You'd be like doing. I've never done Liam Neeson, but like Liam Neeson taken two. And it's like, well, from Kurt Johnson was amazing. Oh, yeah. And you yeah, kind of yeah. have to nod and be like, okay, yeah, all right, yeah, settle yeah, down, Liam. Yeah. But she actually is amazing. She's phenomenal. Show. She's yeah. a really good actress. She's an amazing actress. She's one of the best actor, 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 whatever. It's ever, also ever hard because you have the balance of she's pretending to be this wannabe actress. So you also have to navigate that part too. She can't. 100% be a good actress all the time. You have to be yeah. like the stumbling good actress well, who's occasionally great. Well, no, but you know what? With with her, with, with Sally, I always thought it'd be interesting if Sally was good. It was kind of the first thing that everybody said when they would read for the part when we did the pilot. Is she good? 
And I said, no, I think it's more interesting if she is good. She's just not catching like a, a break. Like a hidden gem? Yeah, she's just not catching a break, you know? That's you how You think it there's works. people out here like that? Yeah. There's got to be, right? Tons who are just great, you know? And they're you just not catching a break. You, I'm Sally. Yeah, I'm a Sally. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was like, it'd be more interesting if she was really good. And so then- you understood why she was frustrated. But you also, she can't be Meryl Streep either, because then that would be... No, but very few people are, you know. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's you know, uh, I always thought of Sally as being a good actor, and she, I think, is polarizing for people. I think she works well when she's not, she's crazy ambitious. But I don't, I think she works well when she's not being mean. She's yeah. just being honest. Right. And sometimes that honesty, she's just, you know, like in, in season one when she's like, I should be Macbeth. I should be Macbeth, you know? I'm the best person in the class. Yeah. And she's not wrong. She is. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you had that scene in season two when uh, when you get mad at each other on the stage. Yeah. And it's super fucking intense. Wait, and uh, at the very end of the season or the one where I, I'm supposed to choke her... Uh, in episode six. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was rough. Yeah. And the irony of that was when we shot that, it was right after Thanksgiving break. And so everyone was in a great mood. They were like, all right, so, gonna, yeah, I'm going to choke you now. Yeah, me and, I just remember me and Sarah were joking around that day and Alec directed that episode and he was laughing and we were all having a good time. And then when we saw it cut together, just uh, Kyle Ryder, our, our editor of that episode, he went, yeah, man, I cut that together. It's really rough. It's really tough, man. <laughs> and I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, man, it was, it's really sad. You know, Jen, the assistant editor, she's like, she doesn't want to watch it anymore. You know, and it's like oh all this. God. And I was like, what? We were like, you know, it was just work. You know, we didn't think about it. And then, and then, yeah, watching it, I was like, oh yeah, no, it's, it, 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 it was played intense. right. You know, that that's the way it should have, it should have played is that honesty, that was what the whole show was about is that honesty should be rough and it's hard to watch. Yeah. And to get to that honesty is really tough for the people to get to that truth of where you, you know, the, the, her truth is really terrifying. But, you know, at the end of the season, it's, it's this thing where she kind of sells out and doesn't do that. And that's kind of the story everybody wants. You know, the, the town wants yeah. the nice, you know, strong story, you know. Um, so it's funny at, uh, you know, when I watch episode eight and she kind of, you know, that scene with her and in, in the lobby, um, with her, uh, agent played by Jesse Hodges is an amazing actress too. And, uh, uh, you know, I always think of as Fuchs was right. Remember it's like Fuchs tells him like, well, you think they, he, the guy did the thing in Braveheart? Yeah. No, he just got himself killed. Like people want the stupid Braveheart thing, yeah. you know? And he's right, you know, and you see that all the time with the, you know, uh, things that are kind of lauded or whatever. You always go, ah, it's not really the actual thing. What happened was really rough. And I don't know if you would want to watch that. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, there's some cases that aren't that way, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just the, if you got into the actual nitty gritty of it and I've been in those meetings, you know, and that's kind of how we came to that storyline is Alec and I would talk about certain things in comedy and wanting to add, you know, what we ended up doing on Barry, you know, which is, oh, the violence should be real or there should be some real rough emotions in this. And you would have people go, ah, I don't think you could be funny after that. Or I don't really think that'll be, 
I don't think people want to see that. It's a bummer, you know? Right. <laughs> That's just a huge bummer. You don't want to see that. And I always found those things could, I always thought those things could coexist, you know, and Alec did too. And I think that's why we do this show because we, we like that, you know, but, um, I, I mean, think, that was like the, the Pulp Fiction secret sauce when it came out. Yeah. And it was so violent, but then there are these funny parts and people didn't really know what to do. Yeah. The, and there was no structure to it. And it was no, just so that original. was a whole other, Yeah. Whole other thing. I mean, that wasn't the first movie that did that. No, but no, that was, but it is it like revived it. I felt like. Yeah, it did. You know, I mean, it's also just the having some sort of an emotional weight to it. You know, like yeah. emotional consequences to things in a comedy. You know, I mean, there there was a version of Barry that's like a very glib kind of treats violence in a funny way because you don't want it to be a, a bummer. Yeah. So it's like, well, we got to keep everything light. And fun, and he's a wacky. He's hit man. a wacky hitman, and you see that a lot, you know. And um, and I think because Alec and I, so much of Barry, the emotional stuff, you know, either comes from people we know or or things that we've experienced, where we go, well, why don't we try that? And they go, uh, we'd rather have this thing, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, um. We'd rather have a sanitized version of it that'll make a lot of money and because people want to watch that. They don't want to watch the bummer. Can we talk about the crazy episode? Yeah. It was an (laughs) all-timer. Yeah, you texted me after you watched it. It was a fucking all-timer. And it was one of those how the fuck did they do that episodes which don't really happen (laughs) on TV shows unless it's like Game of Thrones or something. Yeah. And this was like, it just came out of nowhere. I also felt like it was both an advantage and a disadvantage that you were following Game of Thrones for some of these episodes because you just yeah. got buried by Game of Thrones. But at the same time, it, that's what I loved about that episode was I wasn't prepared for it. Yeah, no, that was nice was that we were following Game of Thrones, but there were those people, the amount of people were like, yeah, Game of Thrones would end. And I would start like washing the dishes and picking up after my Game of Thrones party. And then I'd be like, wait, what's this show? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And I was like, well, right. that's cool. Thanks. You probably uh, got some, a, a bunch of yeah, drive-by oh, fans, right? Oh, our numbers went up yeah. big after, like, Game of Thrones. We started following Game of Thrones. Our numbers yeah. went way up. I, but, would, uh, I would imagine. But, um, no, Alec and I went to the screening of that Battle of Winterfeld episode the night that the Ronnie Lilly episode aired um, of Barry. And it was just hilarious because we were just watching this giant battle scene. And I'm like, we have to fucking follow this. <laughs> Jesus. Great. And I was like, great, we're following this. That was one of the and great little HBO girl, nights, though. Then a little girl jumps on the, the what do you call it, the night? Uh, the day, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a knife and stabs him. And I'm like, there's a little girl with a knife. Jumping on a dude. We have that in our episode. <laughs> you know? And I was like, what are the chances? But, um. But no, and then I it, forgot that was all the same night. That's was like one of the great night. HBO nights. Yeah, I know. I mean, it was crazy. But we so that happened, and then we were at the party afterwards, and uh, it was nice though being at the party because people like started texting both of us and going, "Oh my god, that episode! Holy shit!" And um, you're in a sweet yeah. spot with the show because 
People love it, but you haven't gotten that. You know, fuck Barry, fuck oh, that show. Yeah, we're we're Why over it. Fight? You, you, yeah. You're like in the perfect position. Yeah, that's you have always the backlash right, to, to Barry. I always try to keep that my whole career in that <laughs> position where you just you try just enough. <laughs> fuck Bill Hader. Yeah. yeah, it's just like I don't know him that well to hate him. No, um, but uh, yeah, it's like you're the guy from the thing. I can't hate the guy from the thing just yeah. yet. Uh, but that, so that episode for people who didn't see it, it was amazing. Um, Barry goes, wait, I forget the initial reason why you're at the guy's house. Oh, so even though I've seen Loach, it three times. Um, so Loach, uh, the cop who's been, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. who's been tailing Barry and using Fuchs to get info on Barry. You think he's going to arrest him for killing his partner, but instead he says, I want you to kill the 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 guy who's dating my ex-wife right. so his name ronnie proxen it's a yeah. flip so you go to the house or barry goes to the house i go to the house to kill ronnie i tell ronnie who's this kind of stoner guy hey you know i'm not gonna kill you this guy wants me to kill you i don't want to but um but then he walks into another room and he's he goes, got taekwondo yeah. trophies yeah, everywhere. yeah the guy's a taekwondo i find out he's a taekwondo <laughs> he's like one of the best taekwondo guys in the world yeah that was a problem yeah, and when I wrote it, it was funny because I didn't. We didn't really, we didn't really table this one. We didn't really do it in the room. I kind of went off and like in the outlines for the season, it was like episode five, and I think I just wrote like you know shit goes down, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, Loach dies or something, you know. And it was like, and I then I pitched them the idea, and everybody was like, all right. But it was as Alex said, my solo album in the middle of the. Thing, oh, but I kind of went off and wrote it, came back, and while this is I was like your bring on the night sting, yeah, this is like, my, hey guys, yeah, this is my, going off, yeah. <laughs> Just so you know, I did this little thing yeah. on the side, a couple sides. Uh, we wouldn't use yeah, it, we wouldn't really use this, yeah. But it's like I had to when I was writing it, it was a fun thing to write Barry trying to convince this guy. You know, this thing. And then you go, okay, they go to get the bags. And you go, well, what's the worst thing that he could see when he goes to get the bags? They're just like, oh, what if he has a Taekwondo trophy? And then it's like, what if the whole room's filled with Taekwondo <laughs> trophies? And I was like, oh, that's good. So then a fight ensues, which just, uh, I got to give credit to this guy, Wade Allen, our stunt coordinator, and Daniel, um, who plays Ronnie. Yeah. He's in a ton of stuff. He's like well, the Matrix. He's almost, he's one of... Uh, He's they. I think he was an agent in all the Matrix movies. He's the guy that you remember Matrix Two when they had that big fight on the freeway. Yeah, he's the guy that jumps and lands on the hood of the car and smashes it, and it goes into slow motion. I think that's Daniel. Um, he's a he's an Atomic Blonde. He's in all these things. One of the nicest guys in the world. Um, so but, you're sketching out this whole fight scene. Yeah. Yeah, with with Wade, and I just said I would like it to be one shot. But, but you, you haven't done cool. a lot of those, though. No, we have to remember like sequences of moves and punches. Yeah, and I I just wanted it to feel kind of just like one. I directed the episode too, so I just I wanted it to feel kind of just this meandering um, camera and uh, the DP Paolo Widobro. Initially, I was going to have them. Follow the, the camera was going to follow them everywhere. And she said, oh, it could be interesting if they just kind of come in and out of frame because it, it makes it a little bit more, you're kind of, 
observing it and, yeah. and, and more, you know? And it seems like you're the point. I always think of that shot as you're almost from the point of view of someone telling him to stop, you know? It's like, right. guys, guys, come on, you know? And then they go, ugh, and then they go off this way and you don't want to look where they fell and then you look over, oh, they're on the ground now, you know? Yeah. And um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, Wade Allen, it was really cool. I kind of told him what the shot was and then he choreographed a fight specifically for that shot so it would play all out to camera. So all the moves and everything very specific for the shot. So it's like the shot came first, the camera move came first, and then he went, oh, okay, well, here's what we'll do. We'll go, we'll just play it against this wall. and we'll So it ends with him basically getting a broken trachea. And you yeah, think Barry it's over. snaps his, his throat, and then you think it's over, but then he goes in and he gets nunchucks. nunchucks. <laughs> and then he has two nunchucks, and, and, and Daniel can do that, obviously. You see it. He starts doing nunchucks. And then I found it so funny that when we were in the edit, Jeff Buchanan, the editor of that episode, I said, can you just double it? So if you watch it, he does it once, and then it cuts to Barry. And when it cuts back, we just, that's the exact same shot again, because <laughs> I just thought it was really funny. I was like, and he goes, what, you just want him to sit there and just, like, yeah. It's like, yeah, he's like, he's showing off. Like, he's right. trying to intimidate him. <laughs> and he went, so Barry just is sitting there watching him do that. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was like, all right. Um, and then he, yeah, so he attacks him with the nunchucks and then he he, he uh, chokes. He finally dies from his uh, trachea So now thing. it's over. It's done. So then Barry's and- like, fine. He didn't want to kill him. He had to kill him. He, he feels terrible. He goes to leave. And then his little daughter's there. Ronnie's daughter, Lily, is walking in. and. Hopefully the audience goes, oh, no, Barry's going to have to kill a kid. The so, audience went that way. I can yeah, tell you my so, wife oh and my I God. felt that way. So the girl leaves. She goes, Dad, and she runs out. Barry goes to leave, stops, puts his mask back on, goes to find her. Um, he says, hey, I'll, you know, little girl, you know, we'll, you know, I could take you to Chicago. I could do whatever, but he can't. She saw his face. And then he thinks she escaped out a window when actually she's behind him. And uh, she then is like, a taekwondo master and she's she, like an animal she's like an animal yeah she's she like starts, a, a wild animal and she beats the living shit out of barry so yeah. how'd you find this person um her name's jesse her her parents are uh stunt performers and they're uh wade allen my stunt coordinator was uh, during season one came up to me and goes hey man just so you know just i have there's this little girl named Jessie. She's the Zion of young stunt people. Yeah, she he showed me this video of her on a roof of a house, and she ran along the roof of the house, and she jumps onto a moving car as it goes off. And he goes, and I went, whoa. He goes, yeah, she can do Taekwondo. She can do this. And he showed me a tr- uh, commercial she did where she was in a go-kart, and I was like, where she was driving a go-kart. Yeah. I went, wow, that looks cool. And... um He's like, yes, I don't know if you ever, I don't know why, but just so you know, she exists and she's pretty cool and her parents are rad and blah, blah, blah. So then I had that in my head. So when I was writing this, like, oh, he kills Ronnie. That sucks. And then, oh, man, what if there was a little girl there? And then, you know, she escapes. Yeah. And then I went, well, what if there's a little girl and she was this girl Wade told me about and she beats the shit out of Barry. <laughs> and she, and then in writing it, she became like an animal. It was more out of like, you know, that what I, in my mind, because she was a stump person, I didn't know she was an actress. Um, I thought, well, maybe if she's more of an animal, that's an easier thing to play. 
instead of something well, else. Pussy. And then she turned out to be this great actor as well. And you had a mask on, so you could just have a stuntman playing that you totally, for most of that, right? That was totally yeah, by design. That was smart. That was like, because I got to be able to watch the shots, and I'm not going to have Daniel like kicking me in the head. Actually, later on, he he almost kicked me in the head. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, when you didn't have the mask. So mm-hmm. then that goes. Then she, you have that shot where she climbs the house. Well, she stabs me. She gets away. Me and Steven Root have to go find her. Yeah. And then we see her and she runs up. Yeah, we see her she on the side. She climbs the tree and jumps on the house. Was that yeah. CGI'd or the, did- the tree isn't there. The tree is CG. That was a, it's like a green yeah, yeah. trunk. Okay. It's like a, it's like a green screen trunk with little things. It was like a rock climbing wall kind of. And she ran up that and then VFX put in the tree. Oh, that's cool. And so, yeah. And then she's on a big, she was on uh, wires to, for safety. So when Alec and I showed up, there was this giant tower with, you know, wines going down to her and all this stuff. And people, the, everyone in that neighborhood, like, they weren't allowed to, like, leave for work that day. Or oh they had to go God. park down the street because we had the oh, whole So you guys thing. are those assholes that take yeah, our we were those assholes. I hate those people. I know. And Alec was like, this is all because of this. You want this and one shot, asshole. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I know. I know. Sorry. I know. I'm sorry, man. But I did. I felt really responsible. And then also, every time she would go on the top roof of that house, I'm in the shot. I'm sitting in the passenger seat and Fuchs gets out. Yeah. And uh, so I have to act like I'm out of it, but I actually had a monitor in my lap. So I'm acting sick and he goes out this way by the monitor that I'm looking at. So I could watch the shot. (laughs) And every time they would do it, my stomach was in knots. Cause I was like, Oh God, I have 11 year old girl running up for this house. Well, she's Zion though. It sounds like she's she's the prodigy. So she's Zion and she was able to do it. Jesus. And and then, um, and it was so sweet. And then later there's a scene where she jumps on the roof of the car and then she gets, she's able to do this move where she gets through the back of the car and she bites Steven Root on the, on the face. (laughs) And, uh, he, we have a little dialogue scene while she's like attached to his face. And she was really, she was really cute. I said, um, because initially she was like, so I do, I just bite him. And then I just, am like, you know, wrestling. I go, no, I go, have you ever had a dog bite you? And she went, yes. <laughs> I go, you know when a dog kind of latches onto you and it kind of like goes dead eyed. <laughs> yeah. She went, yes. Like she got so excited. She goes, I know exactly. I've had that happen. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and it was really sweet. She's like, I know what you mean. And I was like, yeah, do that. And then just, you know, just kind of look off dead-eyed, you know, and breathe breathe a lot, you know. So then after that, it ends up in the grocery store and there's another fight. Yeah, I get to the grocery store That's, thinking I'm all good. Just, that show's just and going. And then I for a turn over and there's Ronnie isn't dead. He's getting a <laughs> neck brace in the same thing. And that's when Daniel almost kicked me in the head because he walked up to me and he did like a roundhouse. And I had to duck, and I wanted it all in one shot where I yeah. duck, and he hits the stuff, and I get him. I'm like, come on, don't be an asshole and all this. Um, and Daniel, though, I say that, I think I was nervous because he showed me. It was amazing. He went full roundhouse, full speed, and went, and just stopped right there. And then could go on this side, that side. He goes, see, I could go here, I could go here. I will not kick you. You'll be fine, man. You'll be fine. Don't worry, don't worry. And all this. So I was like, Jesus. Okay. But uh, one of the nicest guys in the world. Um, and our favorite guy actually was a stunt guy. It was Matt Damon's stunt double. 
is in that. He's the guy that he headbutts, the guy yeah. who's stacking the things. That's Matt Damon's longtime stunt double. And Alec loved talking to him because he had a really thick Boston accent. Oh, really? And Alec went to Harvard and lived in Boston for a while. So Alec was just like, oh, man, I love this guy. And he was just, I, I mean, those are the things no one will find funny, but in the edit bay, our favorite, the thing that made us laugh the hardest is when he comes up and he goes, hey, guys, come on. And then and then Daniel headbutts him and he goes, Ka-ka! like that. And he did that on purpose to make us laugh. He went, Ka-ka! like that. And we fell down laughing when we shot it. Yeah. And actually, the hardest we laughed while we were shooting it is uh, when Loach gets it. When Loach, he shoots uh, Daniel in the face, and he thinks he's dead, and then he goes to shoot Barry, and then Daniel comes back up like the Terminator. (laughs) And he turns around. He does this roundhouse kick. Well, my favorite thing was John, who plays Loach. I said, turn around, and I kind of saw it as like he turns around and goes, oh, you know, he's startled. But instead, he played it where he turned around and he went, oh. Like, right. how the fuck are you still like, <laughs> right. like, give me a break. And then he swings around, and that's a dummy head. So we had a dummy head that Daniel could really just kick really hard. Yeah. And he kicked it clear across the aisles. Like, he just went, it went, like, 40 yards. It just flew off. And Wade and Gavin uh, Kleintop, the first AD, we fell over laughing. I mean, we were also, it was like five in the morning, but yeah. we were like losing our minds laughing every time. He, we did it like three times where you had to it's kick a great the great episode. Thanks, Is man. that the Emmy episode? I don't know. I think so. I don't, yeah. I That's, that's our producer, Probably Amy, does all that stuff. I think it, I think it was, uh, I don't know that that one is one of those we you know when it's on I'll be like oh no this one okay yeah I'm it's back weird in. though because now people watch that one as like you know people go oh you got to see this if they haven't seen the show and so they'll watch that first and I go oh the show's not like this at all it's right like, the reason it's, it's like so... starting Sopranos by watching Pine Barrens or right. something you would go oh this isn't what the show is there's all these other characters and a lot you know and so it, it kind of. I know it seems like I'm being a, you know, whatever, uh, but it, it it is best if you watch it in order because the fact that it kind of comes out of nowhere and is a different feeling adds to the experience of watching it, I think. Yeah, I would hope people did that. Yeah, but I, a lot of people The aren't, thing is, those so are always fine. my favorite. The Curveball episode is always like, yeah, if Teddy you're going to have a great show, you just have to have them. Do you have a finish line for the show in your head? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alec and I talk about it. We don't know when it lands, really, how many seasons or whatever, but we have talked about... 13, maybe? No, I don't know about that. I mean, Alec, the problem is Alec does Silicon Valley, and I just, I mean, he's, I just don't know how that much shows, he could do it. I don't know that show's how to, ending this year, though. Yeah. I just, I, I, I worry about his health, because he does, man. That guy just busts his ass. He just works really hard, so hopefully he'll be, he'll be, you know... Uh, I, I, I want, he needs like a, he needs like six solid months of doing nothing. Did you go to uh finals games before we go? Uh, no, I wasn't able to go to any finals games. Yeah. You, I feel like you've given up on basketball now that OKC's window is closed. No, just, not just really. Out. Well, now it's Clippers now for me. I'm Are you, you switched. No, I like OKC, but now I live here. I'm going to go to Clippers games. We get Kawhi. Do Potentially. we? Potentially. Maybe I saw that he was. He had uh, Home Depot boxes. I saw that picture of yeah. him with the Home Depot boxes. That could be cool. He's actually done a nice job of 
like this whole last year played out perfectly for him because he has no personality. I mean, he's just, and I say that endearingly, like he's, you wouldn't be able to even really describe him in a sentence. And yet he's become this man of mystery. He I wins the title. It. It's like, it's like perfectly played. He's, he's got a new balance sponsorship. Like, who the fuck wears New Balance for basketball? Yeah, but what? He, it makes sense for him. Everything makes sense. How, how, what do you think? And you know way better than I do because you're also yeah. the guy that was like, oh no, the Raptors are going to win. And I was like, what? And, yeah. um, you I didn't feel clearly... that way to the finals. Um, but what, how, what are the chances of Clippers getting Kawhi? I, I think they're excellent because he wants to be back in LA. He wants to live in LA. Yeah. I think these guys just look at it like, I would like to live in LA. So I will find one of the LA teams and I will right. play for them. Right. And that's it. But I might be wrong. You think I think mean, it was all the way he also came into Toronto too, that it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like he kind of like, it's just, that's where he would rather be his Clippers. Like he never felt like Toronto was his. Well, I think home. that's, that's their best advantage for him, right? Yeah. That they want a title with them and he's part yeah. of this whole family and the fan base like reveres him. And if you're just getting that day after day, yeah, you start thinking, like, yeah, it's not that cold. And you start, <laughs> yeah, that's my fear. Like when he won, I've through when, when they won the way, like, cause I had my kids that night. So I was looking at the game. And then they wanted to watch their thing. And then I was going, yeah. and I was like trying to look at my phone. I was like, ah, oh, Jesus. And it was down to the wire. And I was so badly wanting to see what was going on. And then when I found out they won was, was my friend Jake Bergman texted me like, tough. Uh, that sucks, man. He's going to stay in Toronto now. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, they won. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> Damn. I don't know, man. But there is something kind of cool about the Clippers. I would love, don't get me wrong, if they got... Kawhi Leonard, that'd be amazing. But I also just like them as like a scrappy group of like I just like them. The underachiever. Yeah, it's a bunch of six really men. It's just like yeah. yeah, they're just like when they won when they beat Golden State those two times, and that was awesome. It would be funny if TV had the version of what the NBA has, where it's mm-hmm. like July first, we'll find out if Bill Hader is going to stay on Barry. Yeah, I know. Or go well, be, yeah. over, or will he go? <laughs> We're going to see. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll do my own out. decision. You know, just <laughs> me with, and still Stephen A. Smith is there for some reason, going like, <laughs> <Yeah>. I knew <laughs> he would leave. <laughs> He never cared about He Barry. never cared about HBO. I have it on, you know, good authority that Do he hated HBO. Yeah, I try. Yeah. What's the guy who's a rapper, boxer guy, or Max? Max Kellerman. Kellerman. Yeah. He's funny. There's that one clip of him. He's like, Quiet Leonard is better than Kobe Bryant. And then you just see, like, <laughs> Stephen A. Smith's head explode. <laughs> One of the things, <laughs> one of the things I really admire about that show, I just don't know how real it is. Sometimes I don't know. You tell me. Well, it's, I, it's, I, I'm not like a fan. Of, I've gone in and out. I've watched like a couple of episodes. I think of it's it. theater. But yeah. what's crazy about it is, it's they're talking like this, right? But it's just these <laughs> three minute monologues, and then like you finish, and it goes to me, and there's always like this dramatic pause. <laughs> listen, listen, Bill Hader. And then it goes into the three minute thing. Yeah, but like, they use dramatic pauses really yeah. well on that show. Yeah, it's like Brecht. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's some sort of like, yeah, like old, like, yeah, just weird monologue theater. Yeah, I don't know, man. And then I, they'll I, cut to the other guy, and the other guy's like, he, it's like almost like he's acting. It's like you in that no. Barry episode where you have to play off the long monologue. Yeah. You just got to like. Just stare <laughs> and listen. Yeah, it'd be like if it was just went split screen while Sally's yelling at me, and I'm just like. No, you should watch it. 
There's a clip of of uh, Max Kellerman saying that Kawhi is better than Kobe, and you just see like the reaction made me laugh so hard of just Stephen A. Smith and I forget who else he has on, but they I see him. They think he gets out of his chair and starts pacing around like, <laughs> like he's so mad. But I, yeah, I kind of. I love how they break these old basketball, like Kendrick Perkins is making the rounds. Yeah, yeah, he's always on uh, the jump. Yeah. They, yeah. they find these old ones, and it's like, all right, this guy's like in the, the jump. Circuit I now. like I like her, Rachel yeah. Nichols. Yeah, I think she, I like how they weave in different Wait, Rachel Nichols. Rachel yeah. Nichols. Yeah, she's great. I like and her. Kendrick Perkins, yeah. and they feel like it's like a part audition. Yeah, because yeah. they don't know they don't they're on a ten day contract basically, <laughs> so they really have to throw it around. Be like, well, Kevin Durant has no heart. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, Whoa. Hey. Scottie Pippen's pretty chill though. Scottie Pippen's he on well, there. He, does, he doesn't care. He's you do the long term contract. Yeah. You, you're gonna Scottie be like, Pippen's just kind of like, no, I remember him. He was great. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Yeah, he's like, oh, this game was great. I loved him. He was great. He's like, well, you'd have to work a little hard for that. You know, <laughs> everyone else is being really hardcore, and he just always seems like, yep, the flu game. I don't know how Michael did that. <laughs> And I was like, man, Scottie Pippen is just, man, if I'm flying, yeah, I want him to be the pilot of any plane that I'm on. You know, he's just The so draft chill. was like that last night. We we're taping this on a Friday where when I did the draft of two years, I was like pretty candid and maybe I was probably too candid. Yeah. But I was like, you know, like, I don't know why they did that. That was a terrible pick. Right. And meanwhile, it's like the greatest, the kid's greatest moment of his life. And yeah. I, and I'm the asshole who's up there right. like, oh, that was too early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thought he was going to go later. What the hell happened? He's got 40 family members watching. It is tough. So you do have that in the back of your head. But I just feel bad for Knicks fans. They just got, I mean, you don't feel bad for Knicks fans ever. But my No, friend, I actually my, do feel bad for I Knicks feel fans. Bad. I mean, R- I RJ, just RJ is fans. good, but, you know, I, I, that's exciting. But they were thought they were going to get Durant, and then. It never works out for this. It never works out. They're the I new Red Sox. <laughs> We won the World Series. We passed it. No, after we won, we passed our baggage to the Knicks. Oh, I see. Oh, and they I see. became. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's true. It's like the Laker fans have. I, I really. Those are the ones I have an issue with right now because the Laker right. fans are like. We got AD. Yeah, and we traded we thirty-eight first-round picks for AD. Who's the man now? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we have them. <laughs> it's like yeah, you traded like your entire future for forever. Yeah. It's just weird. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot. I, there's people who think Kawhi is going to go to the Lakers, which I think is bananas. That would be so lame. I just read a thing about that, and I was like, that would be bananas. That makes no sense That'd to me. That would be so lame. All right. Well, we should mention you're going to be on the rewatchables. Yeah. We're not going to say what movie. Okay. But that's the other reason you're here, because we're about to tape it. I'm very excited about it. Me too. I wonder if people will guess the movie. Just Yeah, it'd be so weird if they guess, like, yeah, some fucked up movie. <laughs> I thought you were here for St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> yeah. St. Elmo's Fire, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to think. St. Elmo's Fire. Hater, St. Elmo's Fire. Oh, totally. <laughs> it's fucking great, man. I'll break it down. Break it down. Breaking it down. Yeah. What a cast. So we'll look for you in that. Uh, thanks for stopping by, thanks, as always. Man. Thanks, man. I love being here. Hey, it's summertime, and that means it's time to get outside and enjoy the weather with some crisp, refreshing Bud Lights. Oh, yeah. Bud Light has the perfect summer lineup with Bud Light Lime and Bud Light Orange, both brewed with real citrus peels. New and just in time for summer is Bud Light Lemon Tea, brewed with real lemon peels and tea leaves. The ideal drink for summer, only here for a limited time. Get it before it's gone. To really get you in the summer spirit, Bud Light giving everyone the chance to win the getaway of a lifetime. Get two tickets. You can win them. 
aboard a VIP cruise to the Bahamas this summer featuring live performance by Jake Owen. And of course, plenty of Bud Light for a chance to win. Simply post your Bud Light summertime photos using the hashtags, hashtag real enough to get away and hashtag Bud Light contest on Facebook and Instagram. See BudLight.com slash real enough to get away for more details. All right. I don't know how this hasn't happened before, but he's here. One of my son's favorite people, Common. Hey, man, what's happening? How you, you doing? You're the guy. You're the guy from John Wick for him. He was like so stunned when I told him you also did music. He couldn't believe it. Well, I mean, I actually feel like sometimes honored that you know. I know the kids. Some of them don't know my music or don't even know I do. Well, music. he's eleven. Oh well, yeah. But yeah, he's. I mean, John Wick. That's like the first. Yeah. Crazy action movie. I think I let him watch. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's. A, I think. That's I still a, feel like your character's alive. I'm not convinced he's he's dead. He is. We alive. never saw him actually die. He he is alive. They've let me know that he's alive, but they didn't put me in three, which I was really disappointed. Because me too. I when I saw the like storyboards for three, I was like, this is going to be incredible, and I just had a fun time like doing John Wick 2 and working with Keanu and, and Chad who direct, like the whole world. And just the people that come up to me about John Wick, like you said, I'm reaching your 11-year-old son who never knew who the hell Common was, but now he's like, okay, that guy, oh, that's the guy from John Wick. And like so many people come up to me actually at the airport, like, man, I love you and They're John like, Wick. You working tonight? Did you have for the movie? Yeah, exactly. That, that, that kind of reminded me because... One of my friends always is saying that line to me, like, yo, yeah, you working tonight. But I uh, mean, that's that's honestly one of the best action movie scenes of all time. Oh, man. When he comes out after killing, uh, after kind of kills the lady, but she, she yeah. he finishes it. Yeah. But then John Wick comes down, crazy nightclub. Yeah. There's like a thousand people there. Like that scene is just, and then you kind of size each other up and then it's on. And then it's on. It's yeah. just incredible. It's Thank such you, a good man. 10 minutes. Dude, I'm super like, geeked and honored to be a part of that franchise because I do think it's the the apex uh, level of of action movies and I agree and I and and it's entertaining because when I honestly I hadn't seen the first one until I was really given the opportunity to potentially be a part of the second so I watched it yeah and I was like from the beginning I was like wait I really love this movie it was something just it's something so entertaining and what I love about movies, like in the fact that it has like a fun element to it. It's got not even a lot of suspense, but it's the action that is really enticing. And I'm usually not a, a, a audience member that just likes action and that right. just action, but it's done so well, man, I have to say. So I'm, I'm grateful you, you feel that that's some great 10 minutes of, of action. Hopefully well, it's a I'll great 10 minutes, but then it has the, it, it kicks up again. And it's got that awesome scene that ends up in the train where they're kind of stealth yeah. shooting at each other because yeah. there's people around just yeah. like doing these quick shots. Dude, like that. And then there, I love train fights because I always try to think about what would I do if I was on the train and these two dudes just started a high level kung fu karate <laughs> yeah. gun knife fight. Well, would would I watch it or would I be like hightailing it out yeah. of there? Would you? Well, what do you think you would do? I depend how depends how far away I was. Yeah. If yeah. I was like on the other end of the car, I might actually like kind of get it, kind of watch, watch it maybe 15 like, seconds yeah, of it. Yeah, but you know, people at that level of fighting are going to pull out a weapon at some point. Yeah, at too. some point. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to get hit by a stray, yeah, whatever. Yeah, but um, that that scene, we actually, you know, that was the, the 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 fun and the hard work of John Wick. Like we trained for like 
months, like I would say up to four or five months of training. And Keanu does all his own shit in these movies, which yeah, is he incredible. And he does it. I mean, I, I mean, I had to do it. I loved doing it too. Like that was one of the things I told the director when I first was getting, you know, the the conversation we had for me to be a part of the film. I was like, look, man, I'm going to work as hard. I'm going to be one of the best in 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 your films, you know, yeah. like, because I, I just have that work ethic just coming from sports, you know, me wanting to be an athlete. Like it just, it's, it's instilled in me. So we were, man, we were filming those scenes at like four and five in the morning. Oh, which, really? Which you really got to be alert because. Yeah. Like we worked out the scenes and then our director, Chad, he'll change it up on you in a minute. So it's like when you you have to be super aware, you have to have a heightened awareness when you're doing fight scenes or you're just going to catch a lot of punches to the face. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. even think of that. Or, you know, kicks or whatever. Because you're remembering a whole script of like, I punch you, yeah. you duck, you yeah. come back, then yeah. I go under. And, and go it's under. like eight things, right? Man, it's like 23 things. It, you know, if you look at the 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 course of, especially a long fight scene, it's like, it's such a long like process in, in establishing and creating it. But I gained a whole new respect for action films just being a part of them. I mean, I always loved the lethal weapons. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, like Bruce Willis, you know, Die Hard and, and Beverly Hills Cop is fun but action. But but that level, like the Jason Bourne and, and the John Wicks of the world, I gained a whole new respect in participating in those movies. I did. When I was at Grantland, I wrote a piece called the Action Hero Championship Belt about yeah. like who was like the top action hero. Who, who, almost who, like almost who, like NBA MVP, how it's right. like LeBron and now it's Kawhi. Yeah. Um, who, who would you who was the top who was your top four? If you had a mountain. Well, the, I mean the eighties were the best. That's what yeah. we grew up with. Yeah, where we yeah. had like Stallone and Schwarzenegger and all those yeah. dudes, and then Bruce Willis and Die Hard, he takes over and it just yeah. kind of keeps going. And then last decade, it kind of died for a few years. Yeah, it did. And then Liam Neeson brought it back with Taken. Taken. And now we're in another good run. But I never thought Keanu would be like the the championship belt holder, but I feel like he is. I, I he is definitely um, on that Mount Rushmore, if not the the great. I, I have to give him a lot because it's not many times that the stunt double is actually doing anything. Yeah. So, and he really is really good with martial arts and, and he's all. a little older i mean he's yeah. in his early 50s now yeah. which it's that's no joke to it's no joke to bro. carry that kind of uh athletic bird in those movies and i saw his body like him in pain but really still staying true to the fight and his work ethic is right. phenomenal um when he uh i'm trying to think what oh he was in the replacements yeah. oh yeah he yeah. was a football qb oh yeah and then, but he was also a football QB in Point Break. Oh man! Dude. But he was actually like, I don't know, pretty good QB. The funny thing about you, you've been a hitman in four movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I we I, did a podcast about John Wick too, and I was researching it, and it was like, this is the fourth time Common's been a hitman. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he might have the record, the yeah, hitman yeah. record. Yeah, man. I, I gotta say, I love it. I mean, for me, when I first the first film I was in, Smoking Aces, I was a hitman. Yeah, and um, it was like. As an actor, because I really, I mean, I, I know I'm a musician, but I'm an actor too. Like, yeah. and the same passion and love I have for, for music, I have for acting. So I, I had to break through the walls of what people would stereotype me to do and 
you know, and what they knew of Common. So I, I was able to get that Hitman role. I auditioned. That was the first role. I got a call back, and then I got the role. And it was like, man, I was super happy because the character was different from me. He wasn't like the... He, I'm not a hitman in yeah. real life. So I wanted to be able to... But you to, could look menacing, though. Yeah, I mean... You but, have a way of, like, your face can just kind of be blank, but there seems like there's a lot going there's on. There's a lot going on. That's well, a good hitman look. Yeah. I will say <laughs> I have a couple crazy things going on in my head, but overall, <laughs> I'm a very loving, you know, like I'm a free spirit to loving individual. But I, I mean, I'm from the south side of Chicago, so I've seen and been around enough to know things. So when my friends did see me in... In in um, smoking, they they was like, oh man, you just doing what you know, you representing West Chicago. I was like, no, acting <laughs> acting has a lot more dimension to that. And, right. and one of the things I always wanted to bring to any character was the dimensions of 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 life. Like, it's hitmen to have emotions. It's hitmen to have daughters. It's hitmen that you know, like like jazz music. It's like you you can't stereotype each person um, or each character. So, Well, I mean, that's the best part of the whole John Wick 2 stretch when they end up in the Continental and they're not allowed to try to kill each other anymore. Yeah. They end up having a drink. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a strange it's so world. Good. It's a fun, it's like, where did you come up with this stuff? Like, like, So good. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a franchise that actually continues to grow. Like, each one is getting better. Two, so who was the first rapper to cross over and start acting was it tupac tupac i think was the first and juice juice i think he was the I first feel like he was like the first one of this he was the first rapper to act and people were like yeah yo I, i'm this is serious maybe ice cube and boys in the hood though too which i don't remember which one was first, yeah you know what it was, i think it was now nah, those were right around the same time They're around the same time but juice tommy google this was before juice Oh yeah, so Ice Cube. So he's Ice, the first one. He was the first one, but but when people saw Tupac, they saw something like, yo, this dude is an actor. Like they were like, this dude could really act. Um I mean, out of the seven hundred uh bummers about him not being around anymore, I was yeah. always interested to see what kind of acting career he would have had. Cause he, he was one of the ones And above the rim, which I love. Right. Um I even went the nine foot rims. I I forgive the nine foot rims. It's fine. Yeah, well, I can't uh, even for the crazy guy playing basketball by himself. You know, that I guy mean, should have been in a mental mental institution. I mean, but Tupac's so good in that as the bad guy. Like he's really genuinely menacing, and then he's in higher learning, and there's all these dimensions to that performance. It's like holy shit, this guy's like a great yeah. actor. No, the dude was you know he was a consummate artist to be honest, and his acting was. You know, it's certain artists to meet musicians that that you see on the screen and you see, man, this dude is an actor. Like, yeah. like, like most deaf was is one of those for me. I like I saw him in some in theater and in films and was like, this dude is really great. Yeah. I think obviously Will Smith is one, Queen Latifah. Yeah, he never Will Smith never gets credit for he was actually a rapper first. Man, I mean He doesn't get mentioned in the crossovers. He 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 should, man. He deserves it because hip hop was his his base. I mean, they were a respected group. You know, he brought a like a humor to hip hop. He brought a fun, but he had joints. Like summertime was a joint that everybody rocked. And this song called Brand New Funk. And, you know, even you know, parents just don't understand wasn't like the joint, but we still like just liked Will Smith. We liked Fresh Prince and, and Jazzy Jeff. So I remember seeing him in Six Degrees of Separation and being so excited he was in like a real that was, independent movie. And then when he did Bad Boys the next year, 
that was like counting down the weeks. It was like, hey, Martin Lawrence in the same movie? Yeah, that was- They're uh, going to be cops? Oh my God. Yeah. But I, think, but I think Six Degrees actually changed the trajectory of his- career catapulted because everybody had to take him serious at that yeah. point. You Between know, like, that and the Uncle Phil episode with uh when the dad left. Yeah, when the dad those two things. It was like, oh Will Smith's a Will Smith's a really good actor. You know, it's funny you brought that episode up. Um my trainer, well I don't want to put him on the spot, but I guess I am. He just was telling me he was watching that episode when his father when the father left and it and it, and it made him tear up. Like uh, the Fresh Prince, yeah. He was like all these Yo, years later. You too, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, That's- they had they just had the 25th anniversary of that episode, and it was like on social media the whole day, and it was one of those things that I I actually think it was like one of the most important like three minutes of the decade in TV. Yeah. Because I think it affected like two generations of black men who yeah. watched that and were like. You know, it just resonated in a totally different way. Well, that's what, I mean, first of all, that's a, 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 to the writers and to, you know, that whole cast, but to Will, that's why I give Will a lot of respect because, you know, it it takes, you have to convey that that emotion for us to feel it. For somebody to cry watching it, then you got to be bringing some truth. And- well, and he also, he ad-libbed, there was some section in the thing where he went off the script. Did he? And- when he like when the character really got upset, like that wasn't in there. And then the Uncle Phil, the guy who played him, just kind of rode with it. Yeah. And like the, I don't think the hug was in the script either. So they well, just kind of got caught up in it, and it well, was like apparently magical. Well, I think you know, that's some of the best moments in art is like yeah, is when things are not planned and the moment just happens and it's a truthful moment. And you know, to be able to go off script because you're feeling it is something that's super important for mm. for any actor or honestly an entertainer, artist. Um, shoot, I mean, we're in sports. You know, you can't just only if the play is not there, you got to create something. And I think it's a life to that. that and, it, and it really allows you to know that you're definitely in the moment. I heard Denzel in doing Malcolm X, they just... He just went on doing some of the speeches, like continue, like Spike just said, keep rolling, because he yeah. was like, he went way beyond what the script was going and was just speaking. And I and I I understand that feeling because there's moments as an actor where I've been like able to just be in the moment and improv and and it just like it brings so much life to a scene. I had Spike and Denzel on this podcast in the last year, and I got them to tell each their versions of the story when he played Ray Allen and he got game. Oh, uh, yeah. And he was supposed to lose the game 10 nothing, and that's what Ray Allen thought was going to happen. And then Denzel scored the first four and started talking shit to him and ad-libbing all this stuff. And Ray Allen was, like, getting mad. Like, real Ray Allen was getting mad. Like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, yeah. Why am I down 4 nothing? Are you filled with this? Yeah, yeah. And it got, like, really heated. But Denzel was, like, so fired up that he pulled that on him. But I mean, that's a good ad-lib story. I mean, but that, that's a great ad-lib. But, I I mean, from my experience of, of working with Denzel, um, an American gangster. Oh, yeah. I love that. You know, it was really a good lesson for me. That was only my second film. So it was... I was watching one of the greatest ever and just how he was able to not only improv, but just he created the dynamics of us being his brothers, like off camera. And that was, you know, him staying in character was like a good lesson for me. Cause I, cause I actually was doing the same thing to a certain degree. Right. And, um, 
And I think, you know, for certain, certain actors, it benefits you to, to do it. So I could see, and I could see how Denzel will, you know, do certain things to spark that emotion because I can remember we were filming American Gangster, and Denzel was Idris, El, Idris Elba's character was like, that was an enemy of, of Denzel's character, Frank Lucas. Mm. And Denzel was supposed to put a gun to his head, but in real life, he wasn't supposed to pull the trigger because, you know, the gun was just too close to his head. But I think he did pull the trigger. It just was like, oh, thank God. Oh, my God. I mean, I mean, obviously, they checked the guns. and Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. But just the pressure of, you know, because... Yeah, when the you, recoil. Yeah, we, the... I have a I have a scar on my chest right now from recoil of the movie Suicide Squad. I was in Suicide Squad, and because my character, they didn't even keep it in the movie. I'm my character had to shoot itself in the in the blew his head off basically. But the the recoil kept going down my shirt, so it burned my chest to, to the point where I got a key keloid. But my point is is that um, Idris Elba felt that pressure of what that gun, you know, that bullet. And he was man, that that disturbed him. But I'm just going back to that's pretty good. Denzel is is no joke. But I mean, he's not gonna jeopardize anybody's safety. But he probably will get you going. You know, like he's just he's he's. I love that he does that from a charisma. Um, just who's cool in a room? If all the cool people are in the same room, is Denzel the coolest one in the room? Like, did the basketball stars even like? Um, they're like, oh my god, that's Denzel. If he's in a room with Jordan, what happens? I think because they're people, like the ultimate people, alpha dogs. People, I think people will will go to to Denzel more. Just we're gonna be more in awe of Mike just because it's that's Mike. Yeah, like, but I think Denzel. More people probably feel like he's more approachable to a certain degree. But who I think will usurp both of them is President Obama. For some reason, when Obama... Oh, that's is, a good... Yeah, so Obama's... He's got the championship belt right now. He got right the now. championship belt, like, because... <laughs> Everyone's sucking up to him. Everybody, I mean, you the, he's the first black president, yeah. and he had a charisma and an incredible wife, and, you know, it's just something about, I mean, history will go down... They will remember a lot of great actors, you know, a lot of great athletes. But the first black president of the United States leader of the world is, that's etched in history. Like, like you know. It's, you get Jordan in the 90s and then you get Obama in the 2000s. Yeah, that's a that's a That's beautiful, a pretty good run. That's a, yeah. We, I mean, we need more, man, to be honest. Come on, let's be honest. We need more executive, black execs, women execs in, in, in all these places of, of, of business that we love, whether it's sports, films, you know, television. Can we but talk about Latino. Chicago? Hmm? Can we talk about Chicago? Yes, bro. I love, that's my town. I, I mean, How are we feeling about Chicago huh? these days? It's never been more in the news for the violence and all the stuff that's going on there. And it doesn't seem like it's getting better. Well, it, I think, you know, actually last year, I think the number went down a little bit um, as far as m murders. Still not anything to, to celebrate because it's still people that are being yeah. killed. Um, I see a lot of people making efforts. I've been um, at, at home and seen like a lot of different organizations that are doing things like, you know, it was some young men that started a, a, a cutting grass company 
you know, in the hood, just, you know, to be productive. Yeah. What's, what's Tamara, what's Arnie Duncan's um organization called that they they take they take young men they take young men from the hood who were like shooters, like who was out there doing stuff yeah. and give them jobs and train them. And I've been amongst these young men and man, to see their transition and to hear them speak and to know what they come from, it's dudes that tell you, man, I've been shot 13 times. Now I'm working and and this is incredible to have this opportunity. Um so and and like Father Mike Flager, who who has been a staple in the in the is who is a white priest who's always, I mean, he might as well be black the way he just fathers and helps young people around the, the city. Yeah. I like to celebrate those people because we do have a lot of um violence going on, but we also have people that are really taking care of the community and, and and really combating that violence with good things. And I think the more we talk about it, the more people understand that it exists. And um, so, yeah, we, I mean, and our city is a beautiful city, ultimately. Um, Especially in the summer. Yeah, that's what it is. It's, it's the best, man. And, um, you know, we just got to provide more opportunities. We got a new mayor in Chicago um, named Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, and she's a woman who even just spoke about Oh yeah, AIM is yeah. AIM is the program that Arnie Duncan. Okay. Arnie Duncan used to be the Secretary of Education with um, with President Obama. He's and really, a celebrity, celebrity game Hall of Famer. Dude, he got he got game though. Like I, he's moving without the ball. When, when Nobody, everybody with, else is going one on five, and he's like yeah. actually like doing back cuts. That in a celebrity game because I never honestly showed up and really did great in a celebrity game. And my friends always like, man, you play way better. Like in you know right in everyday life, then you're doing a celebrity game. What's the matter? Is that the lights? And I was like, I'm a like team player. Like I passed the ball, and I, you know, like so I was playing with Arnie Duncan and one, and we we had a good chemistry. We was the two that was like, because cats be out there joking. We was taking it serious. You yeah, know? yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, in a way that we wanted to win, and we like, yo, I'm gonna hit you if you cutting. Like that dude could pass. He could play, man. I, I coached it one year against Jalen. And Arnie was on the other team, and it sucked. Yeah, because he, he was like getting buckets. Oh, I had yeah. Kevin Hart, who was just like going he, Westbrook 2016 on. Yeah, his. yeah, yeah. Kevin Hart is definitely <laughs> out there for the show. You know, like he, yeah. he's a he, he's because I had poor Jesse Williams, who had like a double double and was like really, really going hard. And, and, I, and Michael, is that when he um, hurt his knee? No, I didn't oh, have him that oh, year. Oh, yeah. And then yes. I had Michael B. Jordan, who was all fired up to play in that game, and then you know didn't didn't get enough. He didn't get Looks, it. I tried. Yes, yeah, it's, it's mean, hard. It goes you fast. You got too many. I tried. I tried to get everybody involved. I tried to. Um, I I had a Snoop Dogg, who was like shockingly good. Right. Like you just would never expect, and especially after I saw his pregame warm up routine, <laughs> I'll just say like I was like, oh man, this isn't gonna go well. But uh, but he was good. But at one point, he basically demanded to to go back in. Yeah. He's I, like, coach. Put me back in. I'm like, okay, Snoop. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally but, rolled over, but he was good. He was like, Snoop can play. Yeah, he he was at least like it. He was like a sneaky good rebounder in traffic. I'm trying to think who has been the best. We should have won. Jalen's holding over me for the rest of my life. Oh yeah, I mean, MBJ missed like four free throws at the end. I had Kevin Hart had like 19 turnovers, but I, we almost had it. And then I, I owed Jalen a big dinner after. He was so happy. <laughs> oh man, it's, I mean. 
People take pride in those celebrity games. Well, they're televised. And yeah. then they're on ESPN. They run it again and again. Yeah. It's on like for 24 straight hours. They're running it. Yeah, I've had some very low points where Justin Bieber crossed me over. And oh, they yeah. showed the highlight over and over. And it wasn't like an ill cross either. I was, it was yeah. just like, I was like, first of all, he crossed it, but he passed it. Anyway, I'm not going to. I'm By the way, he, he wasn't terrible. No, he could play. He could play a little. And he's low to the ground, which is hard for yeah. people who are taller Yeah, I, um, to just stay in front I'm, of those people. I'm trying to think who has been the best place person I've seen in the celebrity game. They used to say Terrell Owens was one of the better ones. He's pretty good. Yeah. But I mean, he's a- He's just a great athlete. athlete. Yeah, he's yeah. a great athlete. You were in, what was it, Just Right? Yeah. And you right. had to train for that, and you took that one seriously, I remember. Yeah, I was- um. I was training with the assistant coach for the New Jersey Nets at that point. Uh, and, man, I grew up playing basketball. I love – I'm a point guard. Like, so I love I loved the drive to the hole. Like, I kind of yeah. – my game was – if you look at the point guards of, or the guards in Chicago, like, D-Wade, D-Rose, we go to the hole. Like, you know, that's what we do. You're, you're scoring point guards. Yeah. Sco- yeah. And, 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 like, just like to drive even if you end up dishing Isaiah, you know, Isaiah Thomas – um, I'm speaking of myself like I'm in their class. No, anyway. I like it. I keep it going. It's good. <laughs> but, uh, but the truth of the matter is, um, you know, guys like me and Isaiah yeah, and Derek Rose. Derek Rose. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the thing is that um, I, I developed a shot, man. I really developed a jump shot in it for it, the training for the sports for training, movie. Yeah, yeah, for training for the sports movie. And I, man, my game had never been better. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I can remember the trainer like, you're a player now. You're a player. I felt like. You know, and I really thought I could play against some some NBA talent. And so in the movie, I had to play against Dwayne Wade. And it was like, I felt how strong and, and fast he was. And, you know, even in those celebrity games and in that, that film, those guys are just, they their arm um, um, length is longer, their hands are bigger, and they had a speed and, and, and superhuman Abilities. The strength is the thing that you completely underestimate. Yeah. Even like playing with Jalen well after he'd retired, but he's six eight and you cannot even go near him. His body's like a force field, you yeah. know, and he can basically even when I he wasn't even in shape when we used to play. Now he's in better shape, but um he just get to any spot he wanted. Man, and if you're like trying to dig for the ball, you're just bouncing off him. But I think Kawhi is the best version I've ever seen of that. Yeah, I mean Kawhi is like He's just like a, a rock of granite. Yeah. I mean, you it's it's funny. You can't measure it. I got, I understand what you're saying. And I think, you know, for those listening, probably could feel it to a certain degree. But you know it more and I know it more because we bumped up against somebody. It's who, just different. Yeah, you can't just, describe it. Yeah, you can't. It's not like playing pickup or intramurals or any of that stuff. There's it, there's something different about like the elite, yeah, the elite basketball yeah. dudes. But and, and Jordan was, I'm sure, when he put the muscle on after the Pistons were beating the shit out of him for a couple years in a row, that was the same thing. Like you just you're not getting the ball from him. Yeah. I mean, what I noticed with D Wade was it was like that core strength where you can't move the person. Like you could yeah. bump up and this person is not moving. Like it's yeah. yeah. So it's it was a I what I realized at that time is like, yo, these guys are working on muscles that don't even I my body don't even know exists. Like, you know what I mean? That core. I'm like, man, even when I watched more than a game, when I saw what LeBron was doing in elementary school, some of the training he was doing, I was like, 
wait, they had this in elementary school. They didn't have, obviously. I mean, we, we didn't even mention LeBron for strongest guys. I remember I was doing podcasts once and he just passed by me and we were talking for a little bit. And then I said goodbye and I like kind of did the thing where you're like, all right, man, you slap somebody on the shoulder. And it was like not a shoulder. It was <laughs> it was like he had he had shoulder pads on, but he did it. It was yeah. just his shoulders. I was like, I can't imagine how anybody would guard this dude. I think, it's like six, eight and a half, 280 yeah. with no body fat. I think he is truly the, I mean, they were, they were saying for Don't blaspheme MJ. No, no. Be careful. No, 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 I'm no. I'm not no. going to let you do listen, it on this podcast. No, listen. Even though for a second I was, about a year ago, I was like really battling in my mind with the no, fact stop, that No, don't let it. Fight it off. LeBron, but but let me on. say, this is what I was going to say about LeBron. He is a true example of when they say like a superhuman, you know, what athletes are, like his his strength, his speed, um, and just how big he is. And, and like you said, like no body fat, but just, and man, to have that skill with that intelligence when it comes to the game, it's like, I love watching him play and he's definitely one of my favorites. It's still, you know, it's still Michael Jordan as the as the greatest I've witnessed. Um, Me too. But, but you know, I think LeBron is is right under there. I, he, he's definitely, who who are your top five players? And I mean, I know we have people had us talk all the time, but who yeah, are your I had- top five? All right, we're going to take a break to talk about Simply Safe. Over 2 million burglaries reported every year. That's one every 13 seconds. I just did the math. What's crazy is only one in five homes have home security. That makes no sense. Most companies really don't make it easy. It's confusing. It's expensive. It takes too much time. It's a hassle. You got to be home when the person comes. Look, that's why Simply Safe is my top choice. Hands down, protects your whole home, every window, room, and door, 24 7 monitoring. For just a fraction of the cost that make it easy on you. No contract, hidden fees, or fine print. Around the clock monitoring, just 15 bucks a month. Designed to blend right into your home. No wires, no drilling. No wonder it's won a ton of awards from the likes of CNET and the New York Times Wire Cutter. Visit simplysafe.com slash BS. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You got nothing to lose. Go to simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two eyes. Just go there. I had LeBron at two because of the uh, the the years now that he's put in. We were talking about he comes in the league in 03. And yeah. in, in the 18 playoffs were probably his best playoffs. He's 16 years in at that point, yeah. you know? And I think it's probably the only way he catches MJ is just if he plays for like 23 years. What I, and he can be good for five more. Like at that point, it's... Well, that's talk- what I was... That's Last year is what made me be like, Look, man, this dude has, we got to, this is a conversation because he's in his 16th year and he just hit 51 or did, was it 51? Right. He hit 51 in he that first He was awesome. I mean, game. I went to game one of the 18 finals. Yeah. The J.R. Smith game. Yeah, that's what, he hit 51 yeah. in that game. That, that was the best I'd ever seen anybody play. And I've been to a lot of good games and I've seen a lot of great, People. You, that was the best you've seen any I, player. I've just—he was beating the Warriors by themselves, yeah. by himself, and that was an unbelievable Warriors team. And yeah. they didn't know what to do. And he was like the blend of—he could do anything he wanted from 22, 23 feet away, but he could also get to the rim whenever he wanted. And they just didn't know what to do, right? You know. And then it's like if you triple team him, he's always going to make the right pass. And yeah. at some point, you just kind of go, "Shit, what? Do, what? 
all right, well, I guess we have to leave these two guys open because yeah. we can't stop them. And I think that was one of the reasons he got so mad when when JR uh, made the mistake. But then in overtime, it was the only time I've ever seen him do this. I feel like I've seen a lot of LeBron games, not as many in person, but I, it almost seemed like he was going to get in a fight in the last minute. There was this moment when he started like really talking to Curry and like it seemed like he was going to like fight somebody. Yeah. He He was so angry. He knew that. He just knew that they weren't going to win the finals after right. that because you can't beat that team five times. Yeah, that was, and he just could see the ship sailing in the game, and it was like, oh. He just he probably just had to release it some way. I mean, at a certain point, it is like, I mean, when I get competitive, I get mad at dudes yeah. too. Like to be honest, and he like, was pissed. You know, I it's been times where I'd be wanting to fight on the court, but I you know you try to take it out on the court. You know, meaning like in the game. You know, so I can understand. Especially if you know the game type of game he had, like you said, and and it's just that one mistake that could have caught. Like that was a legendary game. He, he it really played. was. That was a that was an unforgettable game. Much like the game five we had in the uh, in the finals just now with KD going out. Like I think as the years pass, it's just one of those games you're gonna remember because yeah. not just that he went down, but then Curry and Clay like kind of digging deep one last time. Yeah, that kind of down six. That kind of I ain't on front. It kind of took the wind out of me for, for the wind. Meaning, I got really like, dang man, like this ain't even exciting for me anymore because I. It's sad to see a, somebody who like really sacrificed and made it, like worked hard to to get back and and you know to go down. It's like man, this it, I don't know. It just you know I. Some certain times when you're watching a game or you're playing and somebody gets hurt, it puts in perspective. Life, in a way, it kind of brings like football that happens yeah. the most. Somebody's getting yeah. carried off. Yeah, and it's like all right, let's start the game again, and you're like, ah, you're like, why? We have ten minutes. Yeah, in? exactly. So I kind of felt that way, even though honestly, I I had an event, a, a video screening for my new single that's coming out. Yeah, and I was like, so I didn't even get to see the game, but when I saw everything, I was like. Dang, man. I, I, you know, even hearing Steph Curry be like, man, he Steph Curry was like, look, they they know who we are now. Like, whether we win or not, like, this, we show who we are. And I think, you know, and within saying that, it was kind of like, almost like, man, this championship don't mean as much as it did before because our brother just got hurt. Yeah. And his this is like a real injury. And everybody felt the weight of that. So I thought he was going to start crying after the game. His Doris was interviewing him, Steph oh, Curry. Yeah, and he was that. That was the most emotional I'd ever seen him. And I, you know, one of the reasons I'm a I'm a Warriors fan is because of Steph. Like I yeah. love Steph. I like, do too. His his whole spirit, energy, like what type of leader he is, how fun he is when he plays the game. Well, really, how fun they are as a team. But to be honest, but he's the 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 core of that you know and he's the spark and the leader of it so I love and and I mean to see him emotional is something you know because he doesn't show, he shows joy he'll show disappointment a little bit but I never seen him too vulnerable to well and honest. I saw I think it was pretty raw because with the Toronto fans cheering right after KD got hurt and you see guys from both teams like telling them to shut the f up yeah they that that game had a different energy and emotion to it I, I wish I had been at that game I think. Yeah, it's a, it definitely seemed like a special, different kind of experience just to be in the house for that. But sometimes well, that happens. Well, that I mean, I guess that was another thing that 
that made me be like, man, you know, I saw the brotherhood in the of the Toronto Raptors and the Warriors. Yeah. You know, like, I'm rooting for the Warriors. Like, man, not get Toronto out of here. You know, like, I want y'all to win. You know, I'm, I'm a Warriors fan. I just didn't. But when I saw Toronto, like, really embrace KD and, like, show that brotherhood, as, as I saw Kyle Lowry say, it made me just be like, man, they, at the end of the day, they, they are brothers. That, like he said, it's only a select group to make it to the NBA. And they all, you know, even if they get into a fight and it's a tough competition, they all respect each other at, at the end of the day just for making it to that league. And it kind of, like I said, it made me, my passion for the competition right now is not the same as it was a game before. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that that's changed in basketball and in hip-hop and rap, too. Yeah. Where you had, the 90s were so much more adversarial. Yeah. In basketball and in music, where you had just people feuding left and right. I mean, you were in a couple. But yeah. now it seems like... In basketball, the guys are all much more aligned together. They're all friends. Um, very rarely do you see like bad blood with that stuff. And I feel like the same thing, it's shifted in music. We still have little little feuds in music, yeah. but for the most part, it's much more collaborative and um, I think than it used to be. Yeah, I mean, um, at one point, you know, it was like literally East against West Coast. And, and that's like, oh, that's a lot of different acts and artists that, had like beef, even if they did like each other and didn't want to be a part of it, it was like you were classified as East Coast and you never knew. Yeah, you you're know. in Chicago. I don't even know how you were East Coast. Yeah, you you should have had your own coast. I know. I, I mean, I was representing Chicago. <laughs> yeah. while we was like- You were somehow messed with the, it's in the Midwest. Yeah. I Midwest mean, never got its own thing going. I mean, but, but, but ultimately we didn't have like a big like, yo, East Coast, West Coast, Midwest. It, even though it's East Coast, West Coast, and the South. But if you look at the artists from Chicago, yeah. from Kanye to Lupe to Chance to, you know, to like Little Bibby, Saba, this artist, no name, um, and even Twister and, and Do or Die from, I'm just talking on the hip hop level. Yeah. I can go a lot with the soul and all that. But the point is, we were bringing a lot of good music to the culture. It just wasn't like, yo, check out the Midwest artists, because it would need to be more artists from, like it was Cleveland. just a bad branding, bad branding in the 90s. Because <laughs> yeah. Atlanta had the same issue. Atlanta was kind of over here, yeah, but still doing as much as anybody. But the, the East Coast, West Coast thing yeah. kind of swallowed up everybody else. But I think, but I think those beefs stopped, honestly, with the like with the death of Tupac and Biggie. Yeah. It kind of was like it shook everybody. We but, still had some bad ones after that, though. Definitely. I, mean, I remember talking to Nas about. All the stuff that happened with him and yeah. Jay-Z, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, but those were, that was like, a, had a little personal riff to it. And right. even like, with when I got into it with Drake, it was a little personal riff thing going on. How many years ago was that? That wasn't, that was only, that was 2012. So that wasn't that long was ago. Was that because he was Canadian? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it was, you know, it was like many wars that happened. It was well, it seemed like Drake kind of wanted to have those because he knew that was good for Drake to well, to ruffle some feathers and then you make up and like yeah. it's just kind of good for the brand. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, he, you know, he, I think he's one of the obviously one of the most talented artists out there, and, and also he was, you know, he was he would say what he wanted. He'd throw yeah. a couple punches at you, you know, right. and, a couple jabs. Yeah, he give you a couple jabs and say, "Come on out in this ring." So, you know, certain people, like, 
after you get jabbed, you're like, hold up, I'm a fighter. Like so. Well, but, your worst one was with Westside Connection, right? Yeah, that was the, that was the toughest. Um, <laughs> you had to people people had to intervene on that one. Yeah, yeah, we. Um, we definitely That's had, always bad. You know beef is bad when third parties have to intervene. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was getting it. to that level because I think, you know, Cube and, and like the West Side Connection really looked at me like, oh, Common's just this hip-hop backpack dude. But it was like, man, hey, bro, I'm from the South Side, man. Yeah. We gonna, I'm going to go for mine, too. The same, whatever level we going to take this to, it's going to be that. Right. And I think, you know, that's that's just, that was my mentality. And I said what I said record-wise, and we we kind of got into a confrontation face-to-face with MAC-10, but I'm glad it all got resolved because those good brothers. And even I, I actually got to shoot a commercial with MAC-10 like a few years after that. And it was like, man, them dudes is cool. Ice Cube was was super cool when we, when we filmed Barbershop. And I was like, I mean, first of all, he was always one of my inspirations. And yeah. He was like, I'm, I loved from KRS and Rakim to NWA, Ice Cube, you know, Easy E. I loved all that. Like being in Chicago, I was East Coast and West Coast, you know. And in fact, some of the West Coast artists, like the language was sim- more similar to us. So I kind of related to some of the stuff they were saying. New York was like the Mecca. We just kind of like looked up to everybody in New York. But I actually related to some of the things that, um, you know, the West Coast artists were saying because like, Really, a lot of people on the West Coast, especially L.A., a lot of their roots are like ours in, in Chicago. They come from Louisiana, Mississippi, you know, um, Alabama. Like, yeah. So I kind of, a deeper connection was like, man, we kind of come from the same places. And I had that connection with, with the West Coast. It's so funny. Like, I was a broke white guy living in Boston, and I was just West Coast. <laughs> Were you? Yeah, I was like, I was like, that's, I'm on that Why? side. What was it? I, I just like the music board. Yeah. I just I just gravitated toward that. I was three thousand miles away from it, but I think I don't know the the stuff hits everybody differently. Yeah, that's I mean that's very true. I I can understand that, but yeah, um, and I think you know it was something raw about the West Coast. Like New York in itself is has its own it's its own planet. It, you know, like New York is yeah. its own world. So I think, like I said, that some of the West Coast stuff was probably just relating to a lot of people outside of New York. And then everybody in the South was like, everybody's forgetting about us. And they, yeah. they just get like, you Man. know, would actually, I think, really helped them. And now Atlanta, you could argue Atlanta's like the epicenter of everything right now. Definitely when it comes to a lot of, um, you know, the trap sound and the music, yeah. that, what is going the on. Innovations yeah, the innovations and some of the younger artists, they've, they've broken out. They they definitely have innovated in, in when it comes to hip hop. I mean, they've definitely brought, some new things to it and new things to the culture and new sounds. I'm glad I'm glad they've won something because they can't win in sports. Ooh, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they definitely having a that, rough That joke was from my friend Rembert from Atlanta. Oh, man. 28-3 to three Falcons. Yeah, oh, yeah, man. We came back. Dude, that was yeah. so crazy. Tom Brady. That was so crazy. <laughs> like, so many of my friends from Atlanta. <laughs> That's a tough one. But, they, man, one of my close friends that put money on the Falcons, man. And Ooh. Just, and he thought, he was calling me in a... Like at by halftime, like, man, I'm about to win this. Dude. So you you've been on the ground floor for this basketball players and rappers slash hip hop artists where they've all kind of just meshed into one giant group basically. And now it's like living out with this NBA finals with Drake 
yeah. courtside, just almost like he's an NBA player, even though he's not. Yeah, I mean, but it, like, so you've been, you've been from the get go. This has happened, and now we're here. Can you explain this? Well, the crossover, people dropping names in in lyrics and songs, and it just seems like well, it's all one giant group now. Well, I think you know us growing up, Magic Bird. Jordan, they weren't like in the rap. Like rap was just, you know, it was just coming into play. They were children of the 60s. You know, their music was a different thing. I remember when Ice Cube did the the Messed Around got a triple-double. That was, it was like, oh, yeah. cool. Basketball I mean, in a, in yeah, a song. We, I mean, we, hip-hop artists definitely would rap. I mean, reference I mean, Curtis Blow made a song called Basketball. Yeah. Right? Like, we, cats were <laughs> looking, like we looked up to and you know to athletes but i think what happened in the in the mid 90s like i can remember seeing pictures of red man and method man visiting Allen iverson and like and it was like it started to be the five five was they were pivotal in bringing hip-hop to to sports and and basketball jalen has never been happier than doing this right now i mean and, and and i think that like the the fact that the athletes that were coming up in a certain era, their music was hip hop. So once we like kind of got over like the fact of like, okay, these some of these athletes wanted to be rappers and the rappers wanted to be athletes. And we like, man, we really love y'all. <laughs> and it just started connecting. And then when you had people like the late great Stuart Scott using hip hop references in in his broadcast, and it was like, yo, this is it, it everything was connecting. And now, you know, I mean, like you said, Drake is part of the, like, I've seen articles about Drake as much as I'm watching, I mean, as much as I'm reading about, like, some of the athletes. Yeah, pe- two different media entities, the Wall Street Journal and ESPN, wrote pieces about the writer just watched Drake the entire game I watched, I just and wrote a that. piece about it. I, read I was like, some- this is this is two different people did this? Yeah, I mean, I saw the ESPN one where he watched everything that Drake was doing during the game. And and even when you see ESPN clips, they, I mean, he's a topic on first take at it's, times. Like, it's crazy. If you go to ESPN.com, he's in like five of the pictures. Like, they know. They yeah. know it gets traffic. Yeah. It's funny, though. We've reached a point where if Drake feuded with Draymond Green during a game and then after, it would kind of make sense. Where oh. like 20 years ago, I'd be like, what's going on? Why is oh, you a fan f- feuding with an NBA player? Yeah. But now it seems like just part of the whole process. Well, I mean, I, I actually think that as fans, it's got to be a limit. I whether you, you know, I don't, whether you're like a popular artist or, I mean, but whether you're a popular artist, movie star, whatever, like, I feel like this, this is- This has pers- gone, you think this has gone two shades too far? Well, I mean, look, he Drake is an ambassador. He can do what he probably do what he wants. But I'm just saying that I from my perspective, as I think that, man, these people are this is their dream. This is their profession. Yeah. I mean, I understand cheering. I understand like even like talking a little, you talking a little stuff to people. I can I, I was I can see that. But overall, I kind of think it's you you want to have a certain like boundary just to allow them like these dudes worked hard to get here. Yeah. You know, and I, I just think about if somebody was heckling me doing the show for a long time, I'm going to be like, man, I'm going to get a little heated. Like, you know, and it's... Yeah, and, true. And it's not... But I but I was... I, I love that Drake cares about his team that much and he, like, 
having fun. Right. At the end of the day, you're having fun, man. So, you know. You know who created all of this? One of the world's Spike greatest Lee? rappers, Jack uh, Nicholson. Uh, <laughs> No, it started with him in the mid eighties. <laughs> was he? Was he? He that? was going to the Celtic Lakers finals, and he came to Boston and did a couple. Uh, he he was doing like the choke sign from the balcony and shit like that. Yeah, he was the first one who celebrity fan who kind of riled. I was wondering that, up, but I, but that's why I like as much as you know. I have to understand that, like, shoot, this ain't Drake, not the first one to. No, to this do is it. a like, legacy of it's Spike Lee. I mean, Spike. Spike's the Spike most, was the one I saw the most. Like, so. And Spike barely did anything. Like, it was Reggie Miller talking all kinds of shit to him that whole game. And Spike stood up at one point and yelled at him. But, but Spike would, would say something, right? But he was like under his breath. He went, Drake is like up and demonstrative and really trying to get guys, yeah. you know, riled up, which is interesting. He feels like he's on the team. Yeah, I mean, you kind of got to like, at a certain point, you got to love it too. Because it's yeah. like somebody that's like, really like cheer for their team and I, I mean I do it at home but I just yeah. you know when I'm at the game I I feel like yo this is their space this is that let them get their stuff off I cheer for the team I love but. were you going to the 90s Bulls games were you so, fam- you were famous at least for the last three um yeah but last I was three titles I, I wasn't famous enough to get those courtside seats uh but, right but I was you know I did have you know a name in Chicago and I was definitely out there where I think I could have attended the games. I kind of at that point wasn't, you know, I, I was a ball boy for the Bulls. What? Uh, yeah, I was a ball boy for the Bulls in 84. So when Michael Jordan oh, first came in. Reggie Theus Reggie and George Theus, Gervin. Reggie Theus, George Gervin, Enos Watley. Orlando uh, Woolrich. Orlando Woolrich. Um, t- oh, man, it was, a, it was a, this dude, Quentin Daly was this dude. Oh, and that dude I, had I, some I, problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Quentin a legendary did. trouble guy. Man, he had a jump shot, yeah. though. That was crazy. That's why teams kept siding him. Yeah. Because he was like a 25-point-a-game guy, but he had some demons. Quentin Daly, man. Yeah. So I was actually a ball boy um, when Mike first came, like, and and it was an amazing job. So I think once I, once I stopped being a ball boy, because I was getting too old to do it, um, <laughs> I was like once I, mean, I turned 25 <laughs> no, no. I was like 14 I was like man enough of this man I'm good um, I I kind of just watched the Bulls as a fan I was I didn't have I would have loved to have gone to the games but I didn't wasn't making those connections I didn't have I those. sidetracked you by the way you asked top five who's your top five now basketball yeah I'll, now give you, I'll give ever. you mine ever I'll give you mine MJ1 LeBron Kareem um. Oh no, MJ, LeBron, Bill Russell, Kareem, Magic. Okay, Magic, a close. hair of a bird. Mine is close. He played like two more years than Bird. Uh, that's a, and that's a Boston guy saying that. So I know you it know hurts. It, it yeah. is. I wrote a basketball book, and it was like the toughest part of the book for me. That putting Magic so over Bird. You had, hey, I you, had to. He yeah. played two more really good years than Bird did. Yeah, I, I'm going with Mike, LeBron, um, Kareem, Magic, and Akeem Olajuwon. That's my top five. I, you know, the game was unbelievable. I know Bill Russell. I'm and I'm only going because those are the players I I actually seen. It's hard for me to watch clips of players and really determine if they were the the greatest. And that's why I had to come to grips when so many um, of the new generation was like, "Yo, LeBron is the best," because they only seen some of Mike's clips. But yeah. You know, we say it's a generational thing though, because if you weren't there for it, you're always yeah. going to think your guy is better yeah. than the guy before him. But 
But one I mean, thing we can all acknowledge is Mike took the Michael Jordan took the league and the NBA to an international level, really. Like he took it to the level of like he had the magnetism and the charisma and the stardom to just to, I mean, he made the NBA c- kind of what it is. Along with, I mean, obviously it's people back there marketing and doing their yeah. thing, but you gotta have the star to do also it. Also the most important celebrity ever for bald people. Oh, yeah. Nobody nobody had thought about this. He created the shaved head thing. You never yeah. got credit for it. I mean think about that. I never thought 35 about that. years of it now. Yeah, but but we had we had our <laughs> we had our little images of Isaac Hayes and uh and um I, yeah yeah and, well, he was but, bringing but, that back from that yeah yeah but Mike but you're right Mike in that era yeah hair was the thing and you're absolutely right with Mike Mike was actually you know the, the Jordans and I I had his first little I got a picture of me in his first like Air Jordan sweatsuit thing that he created like that was like. It's impossible the, the to describe changing. now how important he was that first year when coming out of the Olympics. Yeah. The posters, I got every poster, the sneakers, Those him posters, going on man. David Letterman. Man. Like all the stuff, it was like we never really had like a cool basketball player before like this. You Not know? like at that. From level. the get go, he was the coolest. I mean, and and the, it's so incredible, like, because you're saying some of the things that he's hadn't got hasn't gotten credit for. But even the longer shorts thing was something that it was between him and the five five, yeah. right? That that did that. I think it was Mike though, probably first. That oh had yeah, the longer shorts. Fab Five took it and blew it out. Right. But yeah, that, I mean, I was involved with the Fab Five thirty for thirty we did, and it was one of the most important ones we did because it was kind of this lost team that right. had this huge impact. They man. Um, and we were able to capture it, and now it's like this document for all the shit they did. I mean, they, as you said, they ushered all of these different things in. Man. I think Iverson, who you know the media hated for a while there, but Iverson was really important too. No, like he, he, I mean, he, he broke a the, lot of. He brought a lot. A lot of, of walls went down with him. With him, Iverson is. He's on the same level as like as far as ushering in new things and bringing like a new culture, like. The tattoos, the cornrows, the whole like well, people don't know what the fuck was going on with that. Yeah. I mean, you had you people in the first five rows like, what's going on with that guy? Like yeah. they just didn't know how to even react to him. But I mean, the, the the truth of the matter is, he was just bringing like a black culture that, yeah. that that was very true to you know aspect of us to the forefront. And he right. was like, and it was unapologetic, and it just was like raw and who he is. And it was natural, and, and everybody gravitated to it. I mean, I, I loved feel, him. I, lo- I also loved the intensity that he played with. Man, is. He, he has so. Everybody knows he has so much heart. Man, one time I like, I think it was just this All Star game that was here in L.A. I got to see him and Isaiah back, back, um, you know, in by the locker rooms and stuff. And I was like, man, these two are my favorite. Isaiah was like, because he was from Chicago, toughest. So, so to listen to them two talk. Yeah, was like, man, this Isaiah. And then to hear AI give it up, like he was like, man, you one of the reasons. He was telling Isaiah, you one of the reasons I am who I am. They both had that toughness. They both was only six feet tall, like really. And they, Isaiah, and both had terrible childhoods growing up. Yeah, they but had I, tough, tough. Isaiah was one of the top, top five toughest MFers. Mm-hmm. I mean, he... He punched Bill Cartwright. Bill Cartwright was like seven one. He was going after him. Man, Isaiah's from the he west side of badass. Chicago, man. He and he had a lot of brothers. And yeah. So he knew 
He, it, it wasn't, that wasn't his first fight. I'll tell you that much, right? There's that famous story when Bobby Knight went to recruit him and the brothers were like trying to mess it up and Bobby Knight got mad and was like, blah, blah, blah. And he looked at one of the brothers like, and you know what? You're going to end up a loser just like him. And he walked out. And it was like, that was it. Isaiah wasn't going to go to Indiana. And then Isaiah like kind of I didn't know this. chased him down and was like, I'm sorry. But like he had he had a really rough family. You know, yeah. it was in this book, Breaks of the Game, that was that covered like, you know, how Isaiah ended up with Bobby Knight and all this stuff. But he uh, his life was as rough as anybody's. Nah, for sure. They made a TV movie out of it that was actually really good. Really? About him. Yeah, it was like, a, I'm going to say late 80s. About, about like about Isaiah, about Isaiah and his mom. I think it was more about his mom than Isaiah. Yeah, that's why I had a lot of respect for his mother. I mean, yeah, because I um, one of my mom's friends was was I like a police officer in that West Side area, and he kind of was like a mentor to Isaiah to a certain degree. And he always talked about how incredible his mother was to raise you know all those young men and right. women, and did a great job with him. It was it was something for me to see that Isaiah magic. Um, conversation when they you know yeah there's there's a lot of history with those guys man good and bad yeah I you would, can feel it in the conversation you feel it man yeah. and to see them like come together was like man that was special i really want that for speaking of five five i want that i want to see that for the five five like to to see Jalen and oh, chris man. i i thought that Jawan getting the michigan job might do it but that's another one where there's so much history good and bad yeah i, I don't know it's so I, crazy because I mean, I do understand those things because I, I have friends that I grew up with that we ended up going separate ways, having conflicts. So I do know it's human nature, but just as an outsider and a fan, you're like, man, I love them dudes. Chris wouldn't be in the documentary. Yeah. We were telling him the whole time up until, you know, when it was going to air. And he just, and now that thing's been watched by like, I don't know, 20 million people at this yeah. point or however many I love C Webb though. I mean, and I love Jalen. And I mean, yeah. with the I'm five, hoping five at bro. some point it comes around. Yeah. Wait, we you have to go fairly soon. I wanted to talk quickly about Kanye because he's an important person for me, just because I love his music and yeah. I feel like I'm one of the last defenders. Um <laughs> you were on the ground floor with him. Yeah. Um when did you know? When did you know he had it? Um, had a, a really a, a, a super talent. Um, I would say he was playing beats. Um, he was around 19 years old and he was playing beats around the same time as a producer, for, my producer, No ID, who was like kind of his mentor. Kanye would play these beats and I, and I was like, man, this dude is really good. But then what it made me say he had it was he would rap him and he would freestyle really good. Like his freestyles were really good. And I was like, so there's certain people you meet in life where you like, this dude is really good. I didn't know it would turn into this. I will never claim that I knew that he would be one of the biggest artists ever. But I knew that he had a special talent and I knew that, that I hadn't heard people doing some of the things he was doing. When I, when I fast forward into to about 2003, I went to a show at SOBs that he was performing and I saw hip, hip hop cats with backpacks on and I saw them throwing up the Rockefeller sign. And I was like, damn, 
I didn't know these two worlds ex- could exist, could coexist. Yeah. Because at that time in hip hop, it was either you're gonna be you're gonna be on some like get money or gangster stuff, or you're gonna be artistic, you know, backpack underground hip hop. But Kanye had brought together both those worlds. And I was like, man, this is a special, it was like a special moment for me. Cause I, it kind of broke a wall for me to, to know like, you don't have to be separate. It, it doesn't have to be separate. Because at one point we kind of let that be the separation. Like if you rap about getting money, you, it felt like you couldn't rap about anything socially conscious, but Kanye did that on the college dropout. Which you appeared on. Yeah, yeah. You also, I don't know if you know this, or maybe you must because people must mention it to you, but when you guys were on Chappelle, that became one of like the iconic 2000s TV appearances. It's not even on YouTube for some reason, which I think is bizarre. That's crazy. It's like one of those things though. It's That was- um, This collision of these three different worlds on the show that didn't last very long, but people just love. And it's just a cool moment, a cool time in your careers. That was an incredible time. Like, and just that moment as you speak about it, like Kanye, that was the first song we did together. Like that he produced, and he had been shopping me beats for a minute, but it was just like, I had all these other, I was, my mind was on doing these different types of music. So that beat was actually, a piece of music he was making for somebody else. And I got to the studio and he was like, I was, I was like, yo, this is dope. He was like, yo, you want this? I was like, yeah. So he's <laughs> like, hurry up and take it and leave, you know, like, cause the person was coming to the studio. Yeah. So he's like, hurry up and take it. I said, I took it. I went and wrote to it and we created that song and I recorded it in the studio. And once, you know, Dave was part of, Dave is part of our family. I just went to the Golden State game, um, the Warriors game at Oracle with Dave. Oh, you did? Yeah, the other day. It was fun, man. It was, man, I love Dave. He, I just seen him do a stand-up in, in the Bay Area that was amazing, like just at this little spot in San Francisco. Anyway, so Dave was just, Dave used to come to the studio and just hang out sometimes with us, you know, prior to this, this um, him having the show. Um, and when we got to be on the show, they actually had had a different place for us to perform. They had like this chimney and all these candles lit. And I was like, man, I don't want to do that. It looked like real, like, you know, I was trying to create, like, and I like candles and stuff now, but yeah. I was like, this ain't the vibe of the song. This ain't like, you know, they was kind of like earthy, like yoga. It felt yoga, like what they wanted yeah. us to do. And we, we was like, nah. And we were walking through the set and we saw a kitchen and the name of the song was The Food. And we was like, man, let's do it here, The Kitchen, The Food. And we just ended up doing that live. So I'm glad you saying that was a, you know, a great moment on his show. Cause that show was one of my favorite. That's, I mean, there's kind of a lot of the stuff from him, those couple first two years, like there's stuff with him and John legend and I mean, stuff with you. And you know, it's kind of early YouTube, but there's a lot of video of it. It's just a cool time in his career. We're getting him back. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, he'll, I think the I feel like he has another great album. And oh, he sorry, has, my voice. that's all good. Um, much, me too. I was, but, um, he I is, still feel like he's coming back. He, his talent is a God-given gift that you can't take away. It's not. I don't think. I don't think anything is going. He, he's that talent is there. So when when he focuses and chooses to do and go to his purest place of creativity and is not letting other things like detour him. Yeah, he makes some of the greatest music ever, um, and. 
I well, still you feel. also, your career, like, you know, things yeah. ebb and flow. Yeah, that's simple as that. You, you had that, what was that album you had before B? And people uh, were like, Electric Circus. People, people were like, man. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the common I yeah, want. Exactly. And I'm, then you did another album. People were like, yeah, this one. Yeah. This is, but it's like, you know, that's a great. But you Bill, just kinda, it's like a, it's like wind that sends people in different directions. And then you, you have know. to know that you have to know that as an artist or in, I mean, any career that is ebb and flows is it's valleys and, and mountains. And um, you go through it like and just be like, and if you can sustain your purpose and what you love to do within that and just be humble enough to grow then you will reach that mountain again, you know, at some point. I'm buying all the Kanye stock. All right, tell me about the book really quick before you go. Yeah, so the book is is called Let Love Have the Last Word. And it's really, um, you know, me talking about my journey and understanding love from these different aspects in life, like love for God, learning love for self more, talking about therapy, um, talking about, like, my relationship with my daughter being challenged. She challenged me saying that, you know, she didn't think I was a good good enough father when she was young. You know, so it really is me discussing this journey of me finding love and discovering what love is and how to apply it in these times where things feel so divisive and things feel so, like, unstable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with it. It's Thank out you. or it's coming yeah, out? It's out right now. Yeah, okay. it's out now. And I actually have a um, an album that's inspired by the book that'll be out. My first single is is out now um, called Her Love and it's produced by Jay Dilla, the late, great Jay Dilla. Oh, you got a grown from Kyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the late, great Jay Dilla and um, it's featuring Daniel Caesar and it's kind of discussing the evolution of hip hop. It's kind of, it's, it's um, indirectly uh, a, a sequel to a song I did called I Used to Love Her, which was talking about hip hop and, um, and that was actually the song that Ice Cube and them felt. I was, you know, I that, that started the beef. Yeah. But anyway, this song, Her Love, is really a beautiful song, man, about, about hip-hop. And it's off the album, Let Love. So I'm excited about it, yeah. Your next book should be about Midwest rap, trying to get <laughs> trying to get it as a as a brand. Yeah, I mean, we got a lot. <laughs> we don't want to be in the East Coast anymore. We sure a lot. Thing. Uh, yeah, I know. We, we, we did get classified as East Coast for some reason. <laughs> You're like 1,500 miles away from the East Coast. That's a that's a, a long plane ride, two two hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Common, thank you for doing this. This is yeah. fun. Yeah, thanks for having appreciate me. It. I appreciate it. I hope bro. you come back in John Wick 4. Oh, man, me Pull too. Pull that knife out of your chest. Hey, man. Get some stitches. Yes. Start a get campaign, a new heart. man. You got a big voice. Start a campaign. Oh, I, I think people would be excited if you get back. Good. Thanks, <laughs> All right. Sir. Thank you. Thanks, bro. Thanks to The Zone. Don't forget to go to DAZN.com to sign up. Thanks to Simply Safe. Over 2 million burglars reported every year. Only one in five homes have home security. Simply Safe, my top choice. They're actually one of the ones that makes it easy. They protect your whole home. Every window, room, and door, 24 7 monitoring for a fraction of the cost. Visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Simply Safe with two eyes. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Nothing to lose. Simplysafe.com slash BS with two eyes. See you uh, in a couple days with Rosella.